Amen. We all give it up for the band for me one time real quick. It is such a privilege getting led by you guys each and every time that we're up here. And it's just a sweet thing to get to sit in this room and sit under worship that is just so, so clearly elevating our God and full of worship to him. And so it's a really sweet thing for me to get to be here. Um, if I do not know you, if I haven't met you yet, man, I am sorry. I would love to meet you. My name is Robert Newberry. I am our young adults pastor here at the Fort Worth campus. And I'm really excited to get to be here with you guys tonight as we get to talk about one of my favorite passages in scripture. And so we're gonna just jump right into it tonight and dive right in. So if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone or whatever you have, uh, open with me to Luke 15, starting in verse one. And we're just gonna go ahead and get going tonight. And one of the reasons why I'm excited to get to talk to you guys tonight is because this is a story uh, that you may have heard of called the prodigal son. And it's probably a story that you've heard of framed about one brother, but I'm excited to get to talk to you guys tonight about both brothers and how they responded to the father and what their reaction is to his invitation and really draw out what that means for you and me and where we find ourselves in and out of different seasons of our life. And so I'm excited to get to do that with you guys. So if you'll look at the text with me, we're gonna start in Luke 15, verse one. And it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eat with him and eats with them. So he told them this parable and go ahead and skip down to verse 11 with me. And it says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed his pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. I'm just pause right there. I don't know exactly what it is pigs eat. I'm from Austin, so I'm not like a city boy or I'm not a farm boy, but I cannot imagine anything that pigs eat while they sit in the mud is, is anyway an appetizing. Um, and so obviously in a really destitute place, but it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted ca fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and he asked what, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and the father has killed the fat, fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the brother was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated to him or pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to his son, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What an incredible story. Um, It starts off here, we get the story of a father with two sons and the younger brother comes to the father and basically says, give me the property that's coming to me. Give me the share of the property that is mine. And basically what he's asking in this moment or what he's telling his father is, you are better off to me dead because you only get an inheritance once the person you get the inheritance from passes away. And so what the son is doing here is basically saying, Father, I know that you've sheltered me. I know that you've taken me in. I know that you have walked with me for all these years and you've raised me up and you've taken good care of all of our property so that one day I might have an inheritance. But you know what? I want it now. I'm tired of waiting. I want to do my own thing. I want to go off on my own, stop living under your roof, stop obeying your rules. I want to do things my way. And so he asks him for his property and instead of fighting him, instead of the father saying, you have no right, He divides it. He divides it between both his sons. He allots what is the younger sons to his, and then he even tells the older brother what his property will be. And the older older brother takes it and leaves in searches of riches and satisfaction on his own. And what we can tell is that the younger brother thought the best thing that he could get from his father was property and riches. The younger brother thought the best thing that he could get from his father was property and riches. So he goes off with his newfound wealth. He goes off into a new country, but he quickly squanders it all. And it doesn't get specific in the text at this moment, but you can tell he didn't donate it all to charity. You can tell this was not an anthropological spend where he was trying to spend all his money to save the world. It wasn't this kind of thing. He was spending it on any and every impulse that he could. He wanted to seek his own riches, his own fame, his own indulgence. He was searching for satisfaction. He was searching for the things that would answer or fill up the hole in his heart. But as soon as he took all that property, squandered it, paid it all away, basically spent it all in any which way that he he could, a famine came around. Trouble came around in the land. There was a famine that left, left him nowhere to turn. And so he basically goes through this process of trying to figure out ways to make ends meet. He hires himself out tries to work, tries to basically fill a living wage because that's all he can do. He has spent everything that the father has given him until one day it gets too bad. Until one day it gets so bad that he basically lifts his head up from the mud and the muck that he is literally living in and working in with these pigs and says, life with my father has to have been better than this. Life with my father was never this rough surely there's nothing that I can come across. There's nothing that I can interact with now that my father couldn't have saved me from, that my relationship with my father wouldn't have protected me from. So he decides to repent. He decides to go back to his father and he schemes a way to confess. He schemes a way to basically say, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I am going to confess to my father. I am going to repent. And he basically says he's just gonna lay it all on the line and hopes that he's not totally forsaken and hopes that in this moment that his apology, his recognition of his guilt, his recognition that he wandered away and squandered all all that he had could be forgiven. 
He hopes that the damage done is not permanent. He's hoping for grace. He's hoping for redemption. And maybe that hits home with some of you in this room. Maybe that's a season that you felt like you've been in for the past couple of years or have been in at points in your life where maybe you made a set of choices, you made a set of decisions with good intentions or maybe not, but it put you in circumstances and situations where at the end of the day, one thing after another led to a place where you look up and you can't even realize how you got there. You can't even realize what led you down this path. It's gone so far that you can't even recognize how it started or how you can even begin to get out of it. And so you don't know where to turn. And so we have these situations in our life where it feels like everything inside of us is going to just consume us because we don't have any way to turn. We've made these mistakes and it's potentially too far gone. Um, I remember a couple moments in my life, some funny, some not so, but one that I can kind of look back and laugh on is uh, I, I was a lacrosse player growing up. And so that was like one of the five lacrosse players in Texas. They barely had a league for us. And so it was fun. Didn't have too much competition to have to worry about. Uh, but in high school, I got to play on our team and we were playing our heated rivals. It was the game of the season. We were both in contention for the state playoffs. And so we were trying to basically go back and forth to see who would win the game, who would get there. And we were getting down to the fourth quarter. And of course, it's that situation where it's tied. And in lacrosse, you sub while the game is still playing. And so I was waiting to come on. A friend of mine was coming off. He was running off. He was getting subbed. And we had just gotten the ball back. And so I get subbed on, run at half court or half field, and I'm wide open. Goalie's going to throw it to me. I'm going to turn around, run the fast break, and we're going to score, right? Like I can see it in my head in that moment. It's perfect. And sure enough, goalie throws the ball my way. I'm seeing it running this way. And all of a sudden, I trip on solidly flat ground. Just no explanation for it, just walking. No one is around me, there's nothing. I would have swear, the, swear to you that I kicked a speed bump in that moment, but I turned around and looked and there was nothing there. And sure enough, I trip and fall, ball bounces literally off of my helmet like I see it in that moment and it's the worst feeling in the world. If you've never had it happen, I pray it doesn't ever. Um, but we're all grownups now, so you probably won't have those situations anymore. Um, but I see it bounce and it rolls right in front of me and sure enough, the other team picks it up, scoops it up and scores and we're down. And so I immediately just turn around, get back off the field, because I'm not on face-offs, and my coach turns to me and says, you owe me one. And I'm sure he meant it in a good intention to try and motivate me, but literally everything I did for the rest of that game was just worse and worse and worse, because I was playing under this pressure. I was playing under this feeling that I had to make up, I had to dig my way out of it, I had to make the right decision, and I played with such a burden that it just felt like it was overwhelming, and I couldn't get out of it on my own. And so maybe that was a situation that feels like an overwhelming, but maybe there are other times in our lives where it's not so cute or it's not so funny or it doesn't end at the blow of a whistle. Maybe there are real patterns in your life that feel like you can't escape them, whether it's pornography, alcoholism, other situations in your life where maybe you're trying to find a job and trying to just make ends meet and it feels like there's nothing that you can do on your own. And it feels like because of either decisions you've made or... Uh, ways that you wanted to quit a job in search of a new one, you're kind of stuck looking for how to make ends meet, looking for ways to try and dig out of your own hole. And so when it comes to looking around you, looking for help, you're left with a question of what hope is there for me? Who can pull me out of this? Where do I turn to in these moments? 
we get this picture of the son realizing, the younger son realizing in this moment, if I would just return to my father, life would be better. And sure enough, we get this picture in scripture, if you'll look with me. Um, and it says in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And we get this beautiful picture of what it looks like for God, our Father, to look on us in any one of those situations, whether it be your sin, whether it be your choices, whether it be your consequences. In that moment, you have a God who looks at you and says, you are mine. I don't care where you've been. I'm so happy you turned and have come home. You're mine. That's what I care about. That's what I want. Because that's who our God is. That's who he is, and we get this beautiful picture of the father running out and saying, put, ro- put a robe on him, put a ring on him, put shoes on him, clothe him, and we're gonna throw a party because he was dead and now he is alive. And so if you are that person in that moment feeling like you are overwhelmed in your head and wondering where you turn, I hope you know, I hope you see in this text tonight that you have a father who is just waiting for the moment for you to turn. Not waiting for you to pick your life up, not waiting for you to put all the pieces back together, not waiting for you to have an acceptable enough resume to come and feel welcome, just waiting for you to turn. And he's gonna take care of the rest. He wants to draw you in, he wants to reach out to you and draw you in. So you got this picture of the younger brother, but maybe that isn't you. Maybe you don't resonate with the story of feeling in over your head, feeling like you've made all the wrong decisions in life. Maybe you feel like you've done it by the book. Maybe you feel like you have made the right decisions, you have followed the right rules, you have been the one who has played it right in your own eyes. You have done what you needed to do to put yourself in the right position, but at the same time, you feel like there's something missing, that you're seeing all these people who didn't play it right, who didn't make the same decisions you make, get the things that you want, and you feel like, God, you're holding out on me. I feel like I've played it the way that you told me to play it. So why am I not in this relationship or why do I not have this this promotion, this job? Why do I not have this feeling of satisfaction in my life when I see what he did on a Saturday night? How is he in here? And we feel like there's this frustration that maybe the scales aren't balanced. Maybe that this is unfair. And luckily, There's another brother in this story. Look with me at 25. Look back at the text and it says, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated to him But he answered his father and he said, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friend. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother is saying he didn't go off and squander. He didn't rebel. He did it right. He served the father. He stayed with him. And so the older brother thought he was being treated unfairly. In his mind, there was this sense of unfairness because he didn't take an inheritance from his father and go spend it on all the unruly things. He didn't hurt the family as a whole. 
Because he stayed. He stayed and he served. And he's saying, Father, I didn't do these things. I didn't go off and do that. I'm certainly not doing any of the stuff that he did. So how is this fair? I haven't received one cent. I haven't received one thing that I've wanted to do with my friends. Why does he? Is he basically getting celebrated for the mistake he made? How is this fair? And maybe at this point, maybe that's where you feel like you resonate the most because you have been the person who has done what you believe that you're told to do. That for the longest time you have been doing what you feel like is the good Christian path. You've been doing what you feel like is the right thing to do. You've been following what you do. You go to church, you show up, you're in a small group, you confess, you talk about everything that you're supposed to talk about. You read the books, you don't listen to the movies or don't listen to the music that you aren't supposed to and you don't watch the movies. You were one of those who didn't watch Game of Thrones when everyone else did. And so now you're like, why? Why am I still single? Why am I still single? When I know what they wore for Halloween and they've got a boyfriend or they've got a girlfriend or they now have a husband and a wife. I didn't go that route. I stayed and yet at the same time, I haven't even gotten a single thing that I want. And I think what it's important to note at this point in the story is that the younger brother and the older brother, both valued the things that the father could give them over a relationship with him. Don't miss this in the text. Don't miss this in this moment to think that the older brother is actually doing all the good things and feels like he's just been cheated. He's saying, father, I followed every single one of your commands and I didn't get one thing that I wanted with my friends. As if, my, as if the service that he gave to the father was supposed to earn him a right to get some of those things. And he missed the opportunity that it was to be in a relationship with his father and feel the blessing of that relationship. In the same way that the younger brother openly rebelled, the older brother thought by his obedience, even in the wrong motives, he would get what he wanted and he would still find satisfaction he would still find what he was looking for in the things that his father could provide. He just didn't openly say that he wished he was dead for it. He tried to follow the rules and he tried to play it by the book. <clears throat> and so he pursued obedience. He pursued doing the right thing at the right time. And so you can tell in the moment when his father responds by welcoming the younger brother in and, and sacrificing the fattened calf to throw a party, to throw this lavish, over-the-top party, he can't be happy for his brother. He can't be happy in this moment because he thinks that obedience and doing the right thing is what gets or earns the father's love and the father's just lavish grace in his life. And so he looks on that and said, he didn't follow the rules, so why is he getting the reward? In that moment, all he has done, he's taken all of his obedience and he's taken all of the relationship with the father and basically boiled it down to what you can get from him. The younger brother and the older brother both look to the father and just value his things over a relationship with him. But the father, seeing that in both of them, his response is to draw them both back in. Look back with me one more time at verse 24, or at verse 20. 
for the younger son, and it says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and said, and the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against you and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, bring, uh, bring a ring and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. He runs to the son who has wandered for so long. He runs to him and doesn't wait, doesn't stand off with a disapproving glance, doesn't wait to hear what the son has to say to decide if he's worthy or not to forgive him. He just runs and throws his arms around him. He cannot wait to show his son how loved he is. Even after he's done the most egregious thing by telling him he wished he was dead and squandering everything, every gift that he gave him, everything that he prepared for him, father says, I don't care, I love you. I love you over all those things. It doesn't matter to me. I love you. You were dead and now you're alive and you've come back and that is the most joyful thing. So he reestablished him as part of, the fa- part of the family and throws a party to welcome him back in. He welcomes the younger brother back in and then to the older brother. Even in the midst of throwing the party for the younger brother, he looks at him and he leaves that party to go out and entreat with the older brother and plead to draw him back in looks at him, hears his frustration, hears what he has going on, and explains to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. So the father in both of these moments uses his opportunity to reestablish that relationship, reestablish his love, his connection, his desire for them, to throw his arms around the younger son and then plead with the younger son to come back in, rejoin, because your brother has been found again. And so when we come to terms with the story, when we look at this, when we look at who Jesus is telling us our God is, when we see this picture of beautiful grace and the father pleading with us, we get to ask ourselves, okay, so how do we respond? How do we react to this in the moment? How do we view our father in these moments to where we understand what it is to rightly approach him and come back? And when do we recognize that we need to turn? And so I wanna give you two ways to understand how to respond. And so the first is, if you find yourself feeling like the older brother, right? Like if you find yourself feeling more so frustrated and more so feeling like God is holding out on you, even though that you have been abiding, if you feel like your relationship with God hasn't gotten you the things that you want because you have been obeying, you have been following, and yet there is still this hole in your life, I would challenge you, make sure that you are not using God as a channel to get the things that you want. Take a note out of the page from the younger brother. Learn from the younger brother. Because as the older brother, when we look to try and just obey so that we get We're still seeking the same things. We're still seeking the things that bring us satisfaction. And yet we can just look to the younger brother. He got it all lump sum at once. And it didn't even last him through a season. It didn't even last him through a season. And so if we believe that even if we can get those things through obedience, even if we can play the right part long enough to get the relationship, get the job, because we'll be looked at as presentable in a way, they still can't replace a relationship with your father. They can't fill a void that they were never meant to fill. And so for us, 
if we're feeling like that frustration that God's holding out on us, man, I would say for us to ask and pray for God to reveal to us just how good a relationship with him is. And to spend some time searching through scripture to look at every single thing that he promises you. Jesus promises us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will clothe us better than all the fields of the air, all the, all the birds of the air, all the fields of the ground. He promises to always provide for us. He promises to always satisfy us. He promises to always lavishly show us grace when we would return and repent. That is who our God is. And so if we have reduced ourselves down to a place where we feel like as the older brother, we are way more frustrated by the things we're missing out on than the opportunity that we have in a relationship with Christ. Man, I challenge you, get to know just how good that relationship is. Because it should overwhelm us. It should lead us to praise. It should lead us to fall at our feet and say, is this really how good it gets? That is what a relationship with Jesus, when it's rightly understood, does. And so if we feel ourselves feeling like the frustration of this life, the frustration of the things that we don't have, is the camp that we sit in. And I would pray, I would ask you, pray and ask God to reveal just how good a relationship with him is. Get in community. Find people in this room who want to walk with you and show you what that looks like. And be physical representations of a perfect, uh, of a perfect God. Not that we will be perfect, but that they will always point you to the one who is. And then spend time with your father. Spend time getting to know him. I can, I can think of a time when I was younger, we always used to love going to my granddad's house for Christmas. Um, full disclosure, it was because he always gave the best gifts and he had an entire tub of bacon. It was perfect. It was incredible. Um, we would go and we would just scoop everything in. We would... <clears throat> We would go and we would basically play football as long as we wanted. And then as soon as it came time to presents, we'd sit down and we'd wait. And as soon as we'd open the presents, we'd rip them open and get out as fast as we could. And that was our thing. And that was about the only time we ever saw my granddad until uh, he eventually passed away. And I got to hear all these incredible stories of the man that I never got to know. I never got to know because... I was way more interested in the things that he had, and that's just a finite man who was sinful. And yet I still regretted missing out on the relationship that I could have had with him because I was way more interested as a 12, 13, 14-year-old in getting the things that he wanted to give me. And I missed the heart of the man who was so wanting to dote upon his grandkids that he would do anything to draw us in. Don't make that mistake with your father in heaven. Don't miss the opportunity to come and know him because he offers himself to us day in and day out. And he just wants you. He just wants you. And so if you find yourself feeling like the older brother, that's my, that's my hope and that's my plea for us. But if you find yourself feeling like the younger brother, man, I pray that you see that you have a father who's just waiting for you. I pray that you would know that there is no amount of rebellion that can make him turn his back on you. Because I get it. I know that we intrinsically think that, oh, because I've fallen so far, there's no way anyone could love me. There's no way anyone can forgive that. I couldn't look past that. But praise God, we have a God who is bigger than all of us. We have a God who's so much better 
than you or I and the grudges that we hold or don't hold or the forgiveness that we can give and can't give. We have a God who wants to run and throw his arms around you as quickly as possible. And he is waiting day in and day out for his son or for his daughter to come home. That's who your God is for you. Your mistakes don't define you. Your sins don't define you because if you are in Christ, you have a God who's offered you lavish grace that defines you way more than any mistake you could ever make. So my prayer is that you would turn to him and trust in him. Let me pray. Father, God, we love you. God, we are so incredibly fickle at times wanting so many of the things of this world, so many of the things that will never actually satisfy us. God, we look to what we can have or what we should get by the ways that we perform or obey in hopes that we can gain some satisfaction, some assurance from those things. But God, I pray as your word says that we would see a picture of who you are as a father who is just waiting to reach out to us and give us that relationship that will be greater than anything else that we can find. God, that a relationship with you will satisfy us, will give us hope, will give us peace way more than any of the things, any, any number in our bank account, any relationship that we can have. God, you sustain us way more than anything else. So God, I pray for whatever's going on in the hearts in this room, God, whatever that you have laid on our hearts, God, I pray that if we're too scared to turn it over, if we feel like saying that one thing out loud would cause others to not love us, would cause others to judge us, to question us, to doubt us. God, I pray that we would see the message in the scripture that there's nothing that could drive you away from those who are wanting to turn back to you. God, you're waiting to reach out. You're waiting to reach out. And then for those of us who feel like We've done all the right things, yet haven't seen the right conclusions. We haven't seen the proper response from our lives, whether that be relationship, job, success, friends, community. God, I pray that, I pray that we would see that a relationship with you is way bigger than just doing the right things. God, that it's not about just following rules and making the right decisions, but God, it's about a relationship with you. And God, we feel that emptiness not because we haven't done enough of the right things or not because you haven't given them to us, but because we've missed the point. We've missed the opportunity to know you while we follow you, while we obey you. And so God, I pray that maybe even for the first time with those of us who feel like we've just been performing the right way, God, would we come to know the Father who wants to love us who wants to walk with us and wants to give us a relationship with him. God, I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?